This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Well, good morning. It is an honor to be back. Uh, For those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Matt Bullen. I'm one of the board members here at the church. I used to be on staff here for many years. And uh, God took me to my next adventure. And so it's been awesome to uh, see what God's done. And so I'm honored to be back. And uh, when pastor asked for me to speak, I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. And so um, this message that God has, um, he kind of gave to me about three months ago. And it's been... um, kind of like marinating meat. I've just been sitting in it, and so it's, uh, it's kind of in me right now. And so um, I think during the sermon, it'll probably come out quite a bit, so you'll see a lot of that and uh, see just the anointing and the passion I think God has for every one of our lives. And so um, if you're taking notes, uh, we've been doing a series called The Blessing, and today's message is Your Vision. So The Blessing, Your Vision. And so um, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to go ahead and get started. While you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the great honor it is to come into your house, into your building. Father, I thank you so much for the words that have been spoken through praise and worship and just the truth that is shared into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive it. I pray, Father, that every ear, every eye that is upon or listening to the service I pray, Father, that their hearts would be open to receive your thoughts and actions today, Father. So, Lord, I pray for your blessing, your peace. I thank you, Father, for those, whether they're in this building or sitting at home and watching online, Father, Lord, that you would meet with them today. Father, that you would help me to speak this message with simplicity and clarity. Father, giving me thoughts and ideas, things that I'd plan on not saying so that a life would be affected and changed and truly know how much you love them. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to start right here. Um, One of the things that God has given me just kind of a a passion to do is to talk about the positive things. Um, You know, a lot of times negativity can continue to flood our lives. And we have to make a decision on whether we're going to allow that negativity to define us or we're going to turn it and flip it and see the positive side of things. You know, you hear the old statement of, is the glass half full or half empty? You know, I think if we look at it um, through different perspectives, we can see it both ways. But we can still turn that and affect it and see how God is doing great things. You know, sometimes we lose people, sometimes we gain people. And every one of those opportunities gives us a chance to look at God and ask God, what's going on? What's the plan? What's the purpose? And so I want you to understand this. We serve a God that the Bible teaches us is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so I want you to remember that. The same God that was there the day you got saved, the excitement, the passion that he had for you and you had for him is the same God that you serve and choose to hear today. See, he's here to meet with us. You know, the Bible teaches us, and this is where we have to get our truth. I will continually refer to the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, because if Matt says, then it's a 50-50 chance. But with God, it's always 100%. So when the Bible teaches us where two or more are gathered, I am there in the midst. I want to share this thought with you real quick because this is what the Lord showed me in the two services. So this morning when we were worshiping and then in this worship session, the Lord showed me a vision. And this is kind of how he works with me. He shows me visions. I see some things in the supernatural. And one of the things that I saw this morning was this, is that the Lord was sitting there. And so I want you to imagine 
you're at a play, you're at a recital, you're at something that you have a child or a grandchild, and not just the, the little ones. So you think about how, okay, we're here to watch you, we're here to do everything we do, and they get up there and they sing and they do the absolute best they can. And whether it's great or awful, what do you do at the end of it? You're like, that was so awesome, that was so great, you did amazing at it, you were wonderful. That's the exact way that God was looking upon you today. Listen, whether you have the greatest voice in the world or the absolute worst voice, the people around you are kind of scooting to the side more and more during every song because you know, you're just that blessed. But uh, that's what I like to say because people do that with me. They like to isolate me in my singing because I have my own tone. We were talking about that with the praise and worship team and they're like, you're a soprano. I'm like, I'm a, I don't, they don't have my name yet of what I am when I sing. But um, that's one of those things that as we walk through that, that's what the Lord was looking at. He didn't care how great of a singer you are. He's just so proud that you're here singing and praising God today. He just had it, it, just that look that he was looking upon each and every one of us with just, a, just that satisfaction of a grandparent looking on a grandchild perform the first step, perform the first time they ever sang. It's those moments. And that's what I want you to understand. God always sees you as his child. Age doesn't matter. And God always, always, always loves and cares for you. And so just the thought I wanted to start with has absolutely nothing other than to show you how good God is. So um, Habakkuk chapter two, we're gonna start in verse two. And it says this, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets. Now in my Bible, I have circled the word my, because I want you to understand who he's defining in this moment. When he says, write my answer, this is the Lord speaking to you. And so this is the Lord sharing a vision for you and you specifically. And so I want you to understand this, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time, it describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. See, that's a key statement right there. If it seems slow in coming, just wait patiently. For it will surely take place and it will not be delayed. See, a lot of times what we do, and I used to use this illustration, my son, he's a, he plays football for our school, and he's got a chance to play quarterback. And so as a quarterback, what the quarterback does is he takes the ball and as the receiver goes out, he turns and he throws the ball. And as he throws the ball, the receiver has to run to the spot where the ball's going, he catches it and goes scores a touchdown. Now, my son is only as successful as that other person. So when the ball, when he throws the ball, the receiver has to catch the ball. He could throw a perfect pass and if that receiver drops the ball or is not where he's supposed to be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything, but it could mean a lot. See, this is what God is like. God sets the play, the plans, the vision for every one of us, and he says, here's what I wanna do. He steps back and you go out, and he throws the ball. Now, it doesn't automatically, from the moment it releases from my son's hand, does not automatically end up in the receiver's hands. There's a time that it goes through the air as the pass is caught. It's the exact same in life. See, the vision was given, the vision will be fulfilled, but are you ready to catch it? See, a lot of times we get caught up and we think it's never coming. It's never coming. So imagine a receiver running out, he's running his pattern, and he gets in his mind, he's never gonna throw it to me, I'm just gonna go this direction 
and see if he'll throw it to me over here. The problem is that's not where the pass is going. The pass is going that direction. And so as I want you to understand this, God said the vision, make it plain. Remember, it's his vision. Write it on tablets. And he said, make it plain so that the runners can deliver it a clear, concise message. See, this is what it's coming back down to. As we understand this, it will come in due time. So think about this. We all used to play this game called the telephone game. Remember that where you would stand and maybe you were in a line or a circle or whatever it was and you'd have to whisper and into someone's ear. And it was incredibly hard because typically they're spitting in your ear and you know we don't do that in 2020 because that's not acceptable anymore. But you remember, you, you would sit there and you would hear this and you're like, what the heck did you just say? So in your mind, you're trying to figure out what they just said because it didn't make any sense. They weren't clear. They weren't concise. So you're like, they could say, hey, Saturday, everybody's gonna get together. And you heard, dinner will be next week. So you're like, that doesn't make any sense, but okay. So you pass it to the next person, the next person hears it and they say, Mondays are hot. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense, but whatever, we're just gonna keep passing. By the time it gets all the way around, the message that we started with has been so distorted and changed that it never turns out to be what God intended it to be. See, a lot of times we take this filter and we put it on. Every one of us have uh, cell phones that have Instagram or you know, any of these things, but they have filters on them. And you can make yourself look amazing by putting a simple filter on and never showing what is truly happening. See, it's so easy. The world gives us these filters. Oh, that's not God. Oh, God wouldn't do that to you. Oh, that's not a, that's not a vision for you. That's way too big for you. You could never do that. See, the problem is we're listening to the world define our vision God gave us. Every time we do that, guess what? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna reiterate this multiple times. The world are amazing at being failure makers. God is a God of champions. See, we have to choose on who we're going to listen to and who we're going to abide with. Because if we choose to follow the world, it will never be the same, it'll never be consistent. Remember, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? The world's not. The world's ever-changing. It's never consistent. It's always going one way, then another. And this is what it comes back down to. In our lives, we have to make the decision. See, this verse, this verse is amazing for our lives because we have to walk out his vision. When we choose to walk out his vision, we set it plainly in our hearts. That's why it's so valuable for you to write it down. Write it down so that every day you look at it in the mirror and say, that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. Maybe your heart is to love people. And you say, you know what? I work with computers. How can I love people? Well, you know what? Do what God has called you to do and God will show you the way to do what he's called you to do it. It's a choice and opportunities that we have to walk it out. See, in Luke chapter two, verse 51, Mary has been prophesied about who Jesus is and who he's going to be for the rest of his life. The things he's going to do, he's gonna be a great man. He, she goes through and you read this. So in Luke chapter two, you can read through all these things. In Luke chapter two, verse 51, it says this. And Mary hid these things in her heart. When you start to understand that, the reason why she hid these things in her heart was because she knew I would have to hold on to these. So when he was two years old, and if you've had a two-year-old, you know sometimes you're not sure they're gonna make it to three. 
And then if you have a ninth grader, you're not sure they're going to make the tenth. I'm going through that right now. Many of you shake your head saying yes. But you go through this process and you walk this out. But you know in those moments the Lord says, I know that they've called this person to do this. And that's what Mary did. Mary held on tight to those moments. She put that deep in her heart so that when Jesus was standing on the cross, when Jesus was getting beaten, when Jesus was getting ridiculed, when Jesus was out ministering, when Jesus was out doing this, it was always in her heart. He's gonna do great and mighty things. I know, Lord, you've called him to great and mighty things. I release him to you. I trust you. I trust you in this area. And that's what it comes back down to, is the vision that God has set for us has to be deep in our hearts, that other people can't affect what God has said. See, too many times we have a God-given dream defined by man-given words. When we choose to do that, you know what happens to God? He becomes very, very small. If God gave it, why am I letting anybody else talk to me about it? I should be telling them, this is what God said to me. And whether they say, hey, that's great or hey, that's terrible, doesn't change anything because it's God who gave it to me. Listen, if I ask my kids to go clean their room and they call their friends and say, hey, do you think I should go clean my room? My parents just asked me to clean their room. And they say, no, that's not fair. You shouldn't have to go clean your room. Does it change the words that I gave them? If they choose to do that, are they gonna get in trouble and do what I've asked them to do? No. But if they will listen to the word that has been given to them and abide by the word that has been given to them, man, great things come. Great things come. And that's what it comes back to in every one of our lives. See, we have to walk through a process and understand the vision that God has for us. And so I want to talk through a man in the Bible that we all know very well, Peter. And I want to walk you through some things that he went through in life. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Just to the right, not very far. Matthew chapter 14. Now, let me explain what's going on here. So as you read the word, one of the best things I can tell you to do is put yourself in there. Put yourself in the word of God so that when you're reading it, you can look at it and say, how would I react in this moment? How would I handle this? Would I react the same way as this person? Would I be the disciple that would do this? So I want you to think about yourself in this moment, okay? So verse 22 is where we're gonna start. It says, immediately after this. Okay, you gotta stop right there because you've gotta understand the situation and what's going on in this moment right now. So if you look directly above that in the verses that are directly above that, mine is titled, Jesus Feeds 5,000. Now for time's sake, I'm not gonna read through it, but I encourage you, go back and read through this and then read exactly what happens next. But I want you to think about this, okay? Jesus feeds the 5,000. So Jesus is sharing a sermon. The people are getting, it's getting towards the end of the day. They need to eat. The disciples are telling Jesus, hey, sermon time's over. You know, it's lunchtime, we gotta go. Slides right through lunch, goes right through afternoon snack, goes right into dinner time. And they're like, hey, we have got to feed these people. You're not gonna send them home so they can get food. And he looks at them and says, you feed them. And he's like, we don't have any food. And he said, well, go find food. So they go out and they ask everybody they can. And they're going, hey, do you guys have any extra food to share? We gotta feed all these people. And people are looking around going, there's not just 5,000. They say that's 5,000 men. So there's some around, they think 15 to 20,000 at this time. Okay, so they're going around, they're asking, they're looking around and going, I don't have enough food to feed these people. I have enough food to feed me. I didn't bring food for everybody. And so they go around and finally they get to one little boy who gives them two fish and five loaves of bread. So he ends up, they get this and they go to Jesus and they said, this is all the food we can get. 
They bring it to him and Jesus says, okay, bring it to me. I'll bless it. You guys go feed them. And you guarantee as a, as a disciple, I'm sitting there going, five fish or five loaves of bread and two fish? That's going to feed nothing. That, that's not going to feed our disciples. That's enough for a little boy's snack lunch. That's what he brought. And that's supposed to feed all these people? How's that going to happen? You got to think, because that's probably what's going through their minds. Because if they're anything like us, which they were, they're thinking the exact same thing. So then Jesus takes the food, he blesses it, he gives it, puts it in their baskets, and they cover it up. And he takes it, and he goes, and he says, now go feed them. And he sends them off into their groups, and they go and they feed the people. And every time they reach their hand in, they take some out, there's more back in. Every time they reach, there's more there. Every time they reach, there's more there. Every time they... And so they just keep continually giving out, giving out, giving out. This amazing miracle happens. They feed all these people and they have food left over. So this is the moment. Okay, so think about this. If you showed up to feed 5,000 people and all you had was five loaves of bread and two fish, things don't look good. But when you add God in that equation, math goes out the door. Everything changes. So then God does something amazing. Now think about what your faith is like. You know what the disciples are like. They're going, can you believe what we just did? Can you believe it? We had 5,000 people. We had all these people we had to go feed. And you see what we got to do? My gosh, man, every time, every time I would reach in, there would be more. And then the other, Matthew's going, you know what, me too. And they're going through and they're talking about each other. What are they doing? Their faith is at a level 10 right now. They're like, this is amazing. Look at what God did through this little snack. Man, God's amazing. He can do anything. So I want you to think about this. For those of you that have been to the Men of Iron or to, to Awaken, think about the moment you're coming back home after God has done something amazing in your life. Or, or maybe you've been to a, a, a sermon that God just blew your mind out. And you're like, this is amazing. Maybe you saw a miracle. Maybe a miracle happened in your life. Your faith level's at a level 10 at this moment. You are on top of the world. There is nothing that can pull you down. You are 100%. Whatever God says, I believe it. I believe it because he said it. And that's the attitude and mindset you have. So everything's going. So this is where the disciples are at at this moment, right? They're like, they just witnessed a miracle. They've been with Jesus. They've seen him do things. And they were a part of it this time. So now we get to where we're at, right? So these disciples are on level 10. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Key part right there, right? He insisted they get in the boat and they cross to the other side of the lake. So while he set, sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell when he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, and for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water. Now, I want to stop and I want to share a thought right here. I had this thought this morning as I was preparing and I was just meditating on the sermon. What time is this? It says it's three o'clock in the morning. How light is it outside at three o'clock in the morning? It's not. It's dark, right? It's dark at three o'clock in the morning. If you were out on a sea at three o'clock in the morning, it's dark. What else is going on? They're in the midst of a storm. The disciples are freaking out. But yet Jesus still finds them. Here's the thought the Lord wanna remind you of. 
even in the midst of a storm and the darkest moments, God knows exactly where you're at and will lead everything to you in that moment. If we'll slow down and look, he's right there. He's right there waiting for us. Just a thought. So we continue to go on. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified in their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. Now, I wanna quickly describe this and help you to understand this. So they're on the Sea of Galilee at this moment, okay? And the Sea of Galilee is a massively big place. When I used to think of this, I was thinking like one of these playa lakes, like, oh yeah, you know, I could swim across it if I needed to. Not the Sea of Galilee, that would be pretty impressive if you swam across it. This thing's huge. And so I'm gonna show you some pictures here in just a minute because I want you to see how vast and big this place is. So the reason why they cried out it as a ghost is because many ships had crashed and fallen and they believed that their spirits were still running around and they were haunting these boats because they had heard these stories. And so it reminds us very quickly, in a moment of fear, you're typically gonna refer back to what you know. And what these people knew was when they looked out, they thought it was a ghost. So what you listen to and what you allow to be in you will typically end up coming out of you in those fearful moments. So be careful what you listen, what you watch, and what you hear. Because if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you're typically gonna react out of those moments. Now, here's the best part. God knows exactly who you are because watch how he treats the disciples. It is a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. He said, take courage for I am here. I love that because he used the word I am. The great I am is here. The great I am. You know what he did? Their fear started to rise up and he spoke directly to their fear so that their faith would overcome their fear. Jesus will always do that in our lives if we will slow down and allow his word to speak to us instead of the fear-led word. It comes back to us every single time. So then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come, walking on water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went out to the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. Now, I imagine this. So they're in their boats, and he walks to the side, and he's like, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And he said, come, come on. So he takes a step. I guarantee he's like, well, he's walking like this. I mean, he is bold. He is moving. He is going along. And his eyes are directly on Jesus. He is going. There is no fearful step. It's the moment that he all of a sudden takes a step and his head turns. Now, the circumstances never changed from the moment he stepped out of the boat. The wind and the waves were always there. When he kept his eyes on Jesus, he can do anything. But the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus... The circumstances around him screamed louder than the faith that he had to walk on water. That's what it comes back down to. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, it changes everything. If we keep our faith-filled words led by Jesus, it changes everything. But the moment that we allow circumstances, well, it's 2020, this is the way people are always gonna be, this is the way things are always gonna be, it's always gonna be this way, this is just the new norm, we've gotta do this, guess what? It's not what my God said. He said, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm not struggling. The Lord said that if you sow, you will reap. Whatever you sow, you shall reap. I'm believing that the Lord is gonna be true to his word and he's always been and he always will. Listen, at the end of the service, we're gonna talk about a song called Do It Again. See, he's done it once, he'll do it again. And if he's done it again, he'll do it again. And he'll do it again, and he'll do it again. See, that's the idea and the mindset we have to have in our lives. Now, Peter's out walking on water. 
He said, so he gets over the board, starts walking towards Jesus, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. So he walks to this, save me, Lord. He says, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached in and grabbed him. I love that statement. I love that word. I've missed that so many times, but he said immediately. Listen, there is nothing that is keeping you from the Lord. When you cry out to him, immediately he will react. Immediately. It's not days, it's not weeks, it's not months. Immediately he will hear what you're saying and give you what you're asking for. This is what it comes back down to. It says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He says, you have so little faith. So little faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? I told you to come. Why'd you doubt me? But he's not only speaking to that, he's speaking to the doubt and the fear that the disciples had about getting to the other side. He's directly confronting the fear that we have in our lives. It says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him. And it says, you really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, if you would go ahead and turn the, throw those pictures up, because I want you to understand something. So, a couple of years ago, my wife and I got an opportunity to go to Israel. It was an amazing trip. The Bible becomes so alive when you actually walk in the footsteps in the places that you're reading about. It becomes amazing. And so I want to just give you a quick idea of what the Sea of Galilee looks like. So this is my wife and I and Pastor Stormy. We're all sitting there. And so you can see this is the Sea of Galilee right here behind. You can see that's the sea. Um, those are the hills. So when it talks about Jesus went back into the hills... It is a very hilly place up in there. It's amazing. So go ahead and go to the next one because I want to show you how big this place is. So this is me on the side of the boat. I'm taking a picture and I just want to show you how far that is. Okay, so this isn't a small place. This is massive. And so as you look across there, okay, so you can see all the hills. You can see all the different things. These are little towns that you can see. Those towns are so far away. I mean, it takes, you know, 30 minutes to drive, an hour to drive to those places, so it's a distance there. Go ahead and go to the next. Okay, so as you look at this one, I'm gonna explain this one a little bit more because there's something really cool about this. So when we went to Israel, before, before we left, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm gonna show you where a lot of these events took place. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I'm just kinda having this conversation with the Lord and he said, I'm gonna put an angel in the area because there are angels constantly walking where these things happen. And so, I, just for your reference and understanding, as you're looking back, see the docks on the far left right there? That's where we came from. So that white building over here on the left, those are the docks, okay? As you swing to the right, you see that taller mountain in the distance, okay? And then you see the hill that is just to the right. That hill right there is where the, the mount, the, that's, that's where the Sermon on the Mount happened. That's where the, the Beatitudes were shared. That's where he shared his amazing sermon. So it's actually right there in that spot. We were there, before this picture, we were, we were in the spot. And it was amazing because this spot right here, you can see where he came. So he fed the 5,000, and then he had to make his way all the way down, because he went back into the hills to pray, came all the way down, and he came out this direction. So Jesus was walking on water for quite a while. Because these disciples, it took us in a motorized boat to get to this point, about 25 minutes just to get here. And so you gotta think about, they didn't have motors, they had arms, they had rows, they had sails. And so they probably got quite a bit of distance out there. You saw how far things are. And he walked himself all the way across this, out to where they were at. Okay, and I think I've got one more. 
So this is looking back the other direction. So I just wanna show you how big this place really is. So that when you put yourself in this story, you understand it's not like he walked 30 feet. Jesus walked probably a mile or two on water. Peter walked quite a distance because it said that it took him a little while to get back to the boat before they got to where they were supposed to go. So when you look at these things, I want you to understand some things about this. As you talk about the Sea of Galilee, it's very different. It's a big, big place. Jesus did a lot of his miracles around there. And I want you to understand this. As Jesus walked across the water, Peter came out and created one of the, one of the greatest moments in history as he stepped, in, stepped out of the boat. Now, at this point, Peter's level of faith is an all-time high, okay? From this moment forward, we kind of see Peter slow down. Now, I want you to understand, Peter, as he gets closer to the time when Jesus will be hung on the cross, you'll see he is bold, but his boldness begins to leave. The moment Jesus is captured and he performs another miracle, because remember when he gets captured, Jesus, or Peter cuts off the guy's ear, Jesus picks the ear up and sticks it back on. Yep, and then he has a miracle right in front of him and he still loses his boldness. So I want you to walk through the life and the story of Peter real quick. So John chapter 21 is where I want you to go. And as you're turning there, I wanna remind you. So Peter, just a few of the stories. So Peter's a bold man. He's the one that, you know, he stood up and he called out different things. He, he was the one that continued. Jesus had him with him. I mean, he was with him in the garden of Gethsemane. And, and there's all these different moments that you see Peter involved. But there becomes a moment that defines Peter up until what we're about to read. So Jesus gets captured, he gets beaten, he's getting stripped, he's getting you know, whipped across the back. All these things are happening in his life. And if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, you see the moment where Jesus is laying there and he's looking and he's getting whipped and his head's turned to the side and he looks through the crowd and he catches and makes eye contact with Peter. The moment after he denied him for the third time. Remember he prophesied it, said you will deny me three times before the rooster crows and then the rooster crowed. And you see him all of a sudden catch eyes with Peter. Peter is distraught. He's looking at himself saying, Lord, I failed you. See, a lot of times in life, we define what we do as a win or a loss. Well, Peter lost and therefore he became a failure. So Peter goes through, Jesus gets hung on a cross, and all he's going through is, I denied him three times. I denied him, I denied him, I denied him. You guarantee, I guarantee he was trying to figure out a way to make it right. Jesus dies on the cross, he's put in the tomb, and he's thinking the last thing Jesus will ever remember of me is that I denied him. So think about that. My best friend, I denied him. I was not willing to stand, I was not strong enough to stand with him. And I'll never see him again. That's what's going through his mind because that's what would be going through my mind. So I imagine this as he's walking through this process. We get to John chapter 21. So they go back to doing what they know to do. Peter says, hey, I'm going fishing. The disciples decide, hey, I'm going fishing with you too. So they get in the boat, they go out fishing all night, they catch nothing. They come back towards the shore and they see somebody on the shore and they yell out, hey, have you caught anything today? And he said, no, we haven't caught anything. And he says, if you'll put your nets out on the right side, you'll catch some fish. So they drop the nets on the right side, they start to pick it up, and it is full of fish. Here's the amazing thing. 
I always thought this was interesting, but they label 153 fish were caught at this moment. And I always thought that's a weird number. Like, why not just say a lot of fish were caught? A lot of this, why 153? Well, when we were in Israel, our, our guide actually talked about this and he said 153 represents the name of God, the, the sacred name of God. It is, it, it is a significant number that is associated with God. And it was amazing. So the moment they caught 153 fish, it knew, it resonated right in their heart that this is the Lord. That's why you see automatically Peter puts his stuff back on and jumps in the water and swims over to Jesus. So they get back there. We're gonna start in verse 12. It says, now they have, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord and then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. Now, his disciples and everybody's around him, and Jesus takes a moment. After breakfast, Jesus said, Simon Peter. You gotta think, this is in front of everybody. Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he's looking around at his friends. Peter quickly replies, yes, Lord. Peter replied, you know I love you. You know that I love you. He said, then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. You know it. Here, Peter's probably going, why are you asking me these questions? I don't understand this. Lord, I already told you, you asked me, I answered, yes, I love you. You know I love you. You know it. I guarantee Peter is just so relieved that he's back and he's able to tell him he's sorry, and he's sorry, and he's so sorry, and he's so sorry. And he goes on and he says this, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this moment, Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question the third time. He was hurt. He was crushed. Why are you asking me this for the third time? Lord, I've already given you the answers. And he said, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you know everything. You gotta think he's pleading, he's crying, he's probably broken inside. Because everything up until this moment before that, he had been labeled a failure. No, you're a failure, you'll never achieve what God had given you because you are a failure. The moment Jesus needed you the most, you failed. Because that's what the world screams at you. But then he comes back and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He said, then Jesus said, then feed my sheep. See, he goes through this moment and all of a sudden, he asks him the third time. He's broken. You know, the first time it's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, you know I love you. See, anybody can do that. The second time, it's getting a little bit deeper. He's walking through that. It's getting a little deeper and he's going, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Like a little bit more emphasis on it. Like a little bit more passion and the third time it says, the Bible referred to it, and this is John sharing the story, which means he's not even walking through Peter's shoes. And he says he was hurt. You could see the hurt and the anguish on him. And from the bottom of his soul, he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It's pretty amazing that he denied Jesus three times. And within three simple statements, God restored him. Because he understood forgiveness, he watched it. He understood some of these things, but he had never had to walk through it until that moment. 
I don't think if that moment had ever happened, we wouldn't know who Peter is. Peter wouldn't be the Peter that we know today. So I want you to understand this because there's this part in here as Jesus continues to talk. He gets to the end of verse 21. It says, Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? And he points over to John. He said, what about him? Because he's talking about that everybody's gonna die. Everybody's gonna go through this stuff. And it says, verse 22, Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? So he's saying, quit worrying about everything else. And this is the statement the Lord wants for us today. As for you, follow me. That's it. Those two simple words. As for you, follow me. See, that's the decision that we choose to make. As we walk through this process, it changes everything. See, naturally, we want to know what's going to happen to other people because we are kind of concerned about us. We are really self-centered in everything that we do. And I can prove this very quickly. See, you really are concerned about yourself the most. And here's how I can prove it. Whenever a picture is taken of you, who's the first person you look at on that picture? You look at yourself. I mean, it doesn't even matter if your kids are on fire. You're looking at yourself going, that's a pretty good picture. That's a pretty good picture. Why are you on fire? You know, it's like, you're thinking, this is good. You messed up a perfectly good picture because I look good. See, we all are centered on us. We really do. We have that mindset. So when Peter looked in the mirror, for all those days, every day he looked and he said, there's a failure. I can't believe that you would forget your, your best friend. See, when we look at the mirror, a lot of times we may not look at it that way, but we may look and say, you know what? As we look, we get real close and we start pinpointing all these little marks on our head, on our face. Oh, I remember when that happened. Oh, I remember when that happened. Oh, I remember this. See, we get so caught up in ourselves that sometimes we make this more important than him. And therefore, we get so self-consumed instead of saying, Lord, I just want to follow you just like you asked me to. And we try to follow him and understand this. Jesus didn't rebuke. He didn't yell. He didn't scream at Peter for saying, what does it matter to you what I do with him? He just simply pointed out, he said, as for you, just follow me. Let's just make it you and me. Let's quit worrying about them. Let's just make it you and me. That's the idea and the mindset we have to walk through. See, no matter what you've done, there's always an opportunity there. See, scars always tell a story. And that story could be a great redemption moment to the Lord. Could talk about how much people love you. Like I have a mark on my forehead from when I was a kid. When I went running out of my house, my dad had just gotten home and I, I was running out of the house and I tripped and I went face first into the driveway and there was a rock there and it hit me right in the head, started bleeding. And back in the day, you know, we didn't go to the doctor. You either did super glue or those little butterfly bandage things. And so I got a butterfly bandage and now I have a scar. But that will always remember. But you know what happened when I fell? You know what happened? Is the moment that I fell, the Lord was there to pick me up. My, my dad was there to pick me up. And it's the exact same thing. When you fall, God will always be there to pick you up. So now I want to take this back home with us. Because I want to walk you through a process and help you to understand this. Luke chapter 11, or Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there real quick and we're going to begin to close on this thought. This is the parable of the lost son, but I want you to put yourself in this moment. And I want you to imagine Jesus as the Father, as God the Father. So it says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them the story. 
It said a man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money and wild living. About the time the money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, for, to hire him, and the man sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now I want you to think about this. This is bad because you usually feed the trash that's left over from you to the pigs. And even that's better than what he has. So it goes to verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will. He finally took responsibility. I will go home. He said, I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against you, both you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still there a long ways off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Verse 22, but his father said to the servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and is now found. So the party began. Now I want you to understand some key points in that, in that story. See, the, the son looked at himself as a failure. He went off and did whatever he wanted to do. He wasted all that he had been given. And he found himself homeless, feeding pigs, and envying what the pigs were getting to eat. You gotta be down and out at that moment. So he finally wakes his courage, picks it up, and he says, I'm gonna go home. He goes home and he's walking. He says, from far off, his father saw him and he came running to him. And he embraced him and he kissed him. Now I want you to think about this. Do you think this son, because it said no one would give him anything. He was homeless. He probably hadn't cleaned himself up in days or weeks. He had been around pigs who are really dirty and really nasty. You think about the smell that was coming off of him, what he had on him. I guarantee when he was walking home, people got to the other side of the road to stay away from him. Yet the moment his father saw him, he came running. He came running, he embraced and he kissed him. And he's like, my son is home. And his son looked at him much like we do. God, I'm a sinner, I'm a terrible person. God, all I've done, you were so good to me and I've done nothing but waste. I've wasted everything. Yet the father didn't listen to a word he said. You see that? He didn't acknowledge it. He didn't even reference it. He didn't do anything. You know what he did? He told his servant, he said, quick, go get the finest robe you can get and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The reason he got a ring, his ring signified who he was. 
My guess is somewhere along the way, he probably pawned off the ring. And so when he came home, they put a ring back on his finger so that he would always know, that's my dad. See, the thing about it is, God's the exact same way with our lives. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, the vision God gave you is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's something inside you that burns and desires, that thing that pushes you up, the thing that gets you up in the morning that says, this is why I do what I do. This is what I was created for. And maybe it's been pushed down because you haven't sought after it very much. But my thing is this, it's the same, it's still there. It's still there because God is the one that placed it in you. The Bible teaches us in Psalms 193, it says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I put you together. I put your dreams, I put your desires, I put the callings that I put on your heart in you from day one. Those callings are still the same. This is what it comes back down to. We have to get back into seeking those things. And the way we seek it is by getting with the Lord so he can continue to remind us, remind us of who we are. Because every day we wake up, we've got to choose to say, God, I'm a child of God. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I, everything I put my hand to prospers. I'm a leader, not a follower. See, I'm called to the great things because God called me a champion. The world may say you're a failure, but God said, no, 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 you're a champion. And we continue to walk through that process. See, this son, he got the finest robe You know what happened the next time he looked in the mirror? He didn't see a failure. He saw a forgiven champion. And that's what it comes back down to. I wanna finish with this one last scripture, Psalms chapter 20. Almost there, Psalms chapter 20, this is a great verse. Verse four and five, it says this. This is the Lord's words to us. May he grant you your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May he, see the plans and the purposes are given from him and him alone. When we follow after what he's called us to do with our family, with our job, with our calling, with everything, I promise you this, you don't wake up saying, oh no, it's Monday. You wake up saying, God, what adventure adventure do we have today? What opportunities are set before us? He goes on to say this, and this is where we come in as the church. It says, may we shout for joy and hear of your victory and raise a banner in the name of our God. See, here is what we're to do. We're to cheer on each other. We're to lift each other up because the vision God has given you may be hard, may be difficult. You may have to go through storm after storm after storm after storm. But I'll tell you this, Peter walked on water through a storm in darkness. If he can do it, I can do it. And the reason why I can do it is because I seek after him. I know this and we're about to sing this song to remind us, he did it once, he'll do it again. And I know this, he'll do it again and he'll do it again, and he'll do it again, and he'll do it again. See, this is what it comes to. It's about jumping in and saying, God, I choose you. I choose to follow you. It doesn't matter where you've been, because I know this, at this moment, it's where I'm going that matters more important than where I've been. Because the prodigal son was all desolate. He was homeless. He was stinky. He was all the bad things we don't want. And the father came and embraced him and redefined who he was. You know what? That back there is not gonna tell me where that's headed because he's gonna tell me where that's headed. And it's a decision we choose to make today. And so I wanna encourage you, go ahead and stand to your feet. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit 
faithchurchlubbock.com.